Well, hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Godcast. My name is Father Alex Frost. I'm the host of the Godcast. I'm also the author of Our Daily Bread from Argos to the Altar, uh, my book about life in Burnley as a parish priest, and uh, that's out now with Harper North. I'm also the vicar of St Matthew's Church in Burnley, um, and I'm really looking forward to this uh, interview now, and I hope you are too with uh, Chinny McDonald. Chinny has a resume like no other. She is involved in so many things, the Theos Think Tank, Christian Aid, uh, Green Belt. She's an author, she's a broadcaster, um, so really interesting uh, uh, interview ahead for us, hopefully. I do hope you enjoy it. If you do, uh, you could do me a great big favour by subscribing, by hitting the button in the right-hand corner. Uh, but for now, I really do hope you enjoy this interview with Chinny McDonald. Well, I'm delighted to say that uh, Chinny McDonald is joining us on the Godcast today. Chinny, it's lovely to see you. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little bit frazzled, but um, but I'm good. And I'm I'm glad that you've invited me on. Like I said, when we discussed, I thought, you, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> do, do you think um, being frazzled is kind of a, a normal state of life for many people at the moment? Because a, a lot of people I ask, they, they, send, they tend to say the same thing. Yeah, I'm okay, but I'm feeling a bit worn out. Do you think that's true? Oh, I mean, everyone I know is. Um, I think there's something about the pace of life, um, the fact that you can't switch off ever, um, or you have to put in some real boundaries in place in order to be able to to be able to switch off. There's just so much going on. Um, and I think there's something, I think, in these years post-pandemic that has just made... Uh, work seep into life uh, even more than it did before so yeah everyone I know is frazzled um I've got two young kids as well um as well as the things that I'm trying to do uh, in the world so yeah there's there's a lot do you think that is something about society I mean this wasn't on my question list but it's an interesting wasn't it one isn't it because you know our phones are always on our email boxes usually always open it seems to become increasingly difficult and even someone like myself where you know, very much um, plan my own diary. I, I seem to take calls when I perhaps shouldn't do, or if I'm on my day off, I respond to something. Do you think that says something about society, Ginny? Yeah, interestingly, we're doing some work at Theos at the moment about productivity. And for me, there's something in that about the um, endless drive to do more and more and more and fit more and more in. Even when we talk about quiet time or rest or meditation, it's like another thing that you tick off the to-do list um and as a christian i think that there is something good about imposing limits because thinking that we can do it all without stopping is almost like believing that we are gods ourselves um that we can keep on striving for more and more and more and i just don't think it is good for us i don't think it's good for me i don't think it's good for us as a society um and i don't think it can continue um at this uh, pace um for many more years to come well it leads to another question then um you know I, I worked in the retail world for 20 years for argos where key performance indicators were my daily <laughs> recipe for success or failure as the case may be um do, do you think the church um is looking to a world of key kpis and, and if so do you think that's the right way I think, I think in many ways, churches 
big churches in particular um are run like businesses you know they they have strategic plans for three to five years and in those you've got the kpis you've got the metrics you've got the things that you have committed to doing and that you measure yourselves against now there's a part of me that doesn't want to completely um say that those are all bad because i think i think it's good to have a plan right um and also to bring people with you and for you to be clear on what you're doing but when it becomes um for the sake of ticking off this kpi and having said that you've achieved something um then i'm not sure that that's that that's as valuable as as it may seem and also i think life now is just so much more um changing uh quickly changing so you might have an idea of what you want to do in the next five years and how many things that you want to achieve but life comes at you fast as the kids say like you think things change society changes the world changes and actually you've got to throw those plans away so we're not we're not in control we can try to put a bit of kind of guidance in um but i think we need to be flexible now i'm speaking to myself as well as <laughs> like uh, i'm speaking to myself too um because i like to be in control of things um quite a lot yeah well we better i'll, I'll ask some proper questions now because they weren't on the list but they, they, i think they were they were they're worthy of a discussion um uh, your resume your curriculum vitae Ginny, is is so extensive it's like it's it was a bit like going into a sweet shop and like where, where shall I start first? But I, w- I was keen to know what life was like for you as a young girl moving to the UK. Um, as a boy, I moved from London to, to Lancashire. I was quite an anxious child for quite a while. I was wondering how you settled in the UK. Was it quite a natural change for you or not? I think when I, I, I moved from... So I was born in Lagos um, uh, in Nigeria and moved... Um, to the UK when I was four with my parents and my two younger sisters. So um, I'm the eldest of you know four, three and one, I think we were. Um, and part of me now thinks, why did my parents do, do that? You know, they left their community, everything that they knew and a place in which there were so many people around to help um, to moving to Southeast London. And I guess I was still pretty young when I moved. So it, it the transition wasn't as huge as it could have been if I was a bit older but I definitely remember being um realizing that we were suddenly in a place where we were other or different um southeast London in, in the 80s was not the most diverse of places definitely not as diverse as it is now um and I remember when I was five um realizing that I wasn't white, <laughs> um, like all my friends were, um, and that I didn't look like any Disney princesses um, that I watched. Um, I didn't look like anyone that I saw on TV or, um, and I remember feeling really disappointed. Did you notice any difference within the black community of your difference of coming from another place, you know, from Nigeria, or or were you, was that community welcoming and encouraging or, or did you even feel the, the difference there? Well, I, we spent most of our time in white majority spaces. Um, when I was a child, you know, school, the churches that we went to were mainly white. Um, but we did have 
friends and family or who moved from Nigeria or would come and visit from America or Nigeria. I remember feeling at home with them in the, well, at home, but also uh, if they were from Nigeria and lived in Nigeria, like I was not actually Nigerian. Like they would kind of joke about, well, you're not Nigerian, you're British um, because I, I spoke like this or I hadn't grown up in that context. So that feeling of being both not at home in either place really um, was difficult. But I think the times of my life kind of much later on when I felt most um, like I could exhale have been in black majority spaces um, in churches, for example. Um, and I think my, I kind of got used to being the only black face in most places in school, but it was when I went to university, um, I went to Cambridge and that was, uh, once I arrived there, I was like, oh no, I'm really not, I'm really not English um, or I'm really not British or I'm being made to feel like I am in some way different. Um, yeah. And were you living an active faith as a, as a teenage girl? Uh, we, you know, were your were your family religious, and and if so, was it was it an enjoyable time of your life, or was it a bit of a bind and a grind having to go to church? Oh, I love church. <laughs> um, I love church. Uh, I loved. Um, I I was uh, you know goody two shoes. <laughs> Christian <laughs> child um I had my youth bible with my highlighters and stickers and all those things um went to youth group loved um worship um so this is a very this is when I realized I was a really strange child I used to when I was about eight I used to sit by myself um with the orange songs and hymns of fellowship book and literally sing from the beginning <laughs> try and sing from the beginning <laughs> to the end um Bind us together, Lord, I think was one of my favourites. So, yeah, I was a bit odd. Um, and I, yeah, I was very, very Christian. But probably when I went to university and I studied theology, um, that was when it became kind of uncomfortable for me as I kind of looked back on my own Christian upbringing and formation, I guess. I hadn't really had, you know, had quite a simplistic faith up to that point. Hadn't really been challenged. Um in terms of, um, I guess, the diversity of theology, uh, historical and um, Jesus, um, science and theology kind of explored that, neuroscience, all those things, which kind of blew my mind, but also made me quite um, uncomfortable and a bit anxious. I thought I was gonna lose my faith. Um, so my response was to go to three churches on a Sunday rather than <laughs> leave. You are um, you are a bit strange, Ginny. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And um, what was was can you remember what it was uh, at uni that, that kind of really started to grind your gears and make make you slightly uncomfortable and shift from this simplistic faith that you described? Yeah, it was when we arrived and um it felt like to me, this probably wasn't true. Um it felt like in the first term, as we looked at kind of Christianity in the first century and the synoptic gospels or kind of the differences between the gospel accounts, it's like having an out of body experience where you're like, oh, like it's, <laughs> this doesn't necessarily all add up or match up in a simplistic way that I kind of understood it to previously. I don't think that the Bible fell down from the sky and from the words of, and the mouth of God. Um, so what does that mean for me? So it's the kind of the hi historical accounts and the differences, but also 
one particular model module was um the psychology of charismatic worship right and this is um i guess for those who aren't familiar it's kind of happy clappy um modern music um lots of emotion and that had been my church experience and that i i'd been in worship teams but it was looking at that from a kind of psychological perspective the idea of um collective religious experience um hysteria you know all the things that are done to kind of create these environments um so it meant that when I was back in my co church context I was just kind of a bit um cynical then I realized that God is I actually do believe you know I was like I do believe God exists and I can write you an essay that says God doesn't I can write you an essay that says God does but my personal experience of God is that God is there um and if God is there then God is able to withstand doubt and grayness and uncertainty and work through fallen human beings who kind of write down these kind of biblical accounts. Um, so I, I guess kind of in the years afterwards, I kind of rebuilt that faith to something that I think is much more robust. And there is there's probably not, nothing anyone could say to me that would make me think, oh, do you know what? Maybe God doesn't exist because I've kind of worked through a lot of the the questions yeah i was i was interviewed uh, a former uh, well, a bishop recently who we were talking about you know wouldn't it be great if we just had that simplistic faith you know maybe maybe christianity would evolve in a much easier way but once you open that can of worms it's very difficult to to close it isn't it and it, and it extends into every area of theology and of course um there's a couple of questions i want to ask you one around in your role in uh, working with theos is is, is how the church is now seen in the in the wider uh, context of of the UK and across Western Europe, um, you know, against how it might sit in places of, of Africa. You know, some places are more conservative or more liberal, but particularly this country, I'm interested to know your thoughts, Chinny, about you know what what where the church is at at the moment. I, I can't help thinking that we're you know we're almost beyond the fringes of society at the moment in many ways because we're we're just disconnected. With other with other with other things with other arguments such as the living in love and faith struggles within the Church of England at the moment probably a long, a long convoluted question but you'd probably get that yeah I think um I guess the first thing I always forget to say this but in local communities churches are often the ones that uh, are doing stuff in their local communities they're inviting people in they're Kind of doing Chris Dingles, they're doing food banks, they're doing all this great stuff. And there was some research by King's College London a few months ago um, that talked about kind of decline in belief in God in the UK. But there was one question um, that kind of bucked the trend. And I think they were asking people um, whether they trust their local faith communities. And that question was the only one where there had been like a positive upturn since 2019. And I think probably that's COVID that did that or people seeing that their churches are doing stuff. Now, however, does that mean that people want to be associated with the church or affiliated or go to church themselves? Um, the census figures would show that, you know, we're at 47% um, of Christians in the UK, which is the lowest it's, it's been. Um, now, there's all sorts of things that you can read into that. One is there are fewer people who just tick the Christian box because they're British, because it's not, ne not necessarily a 
kind of socially advantageous or something that we can learn about. Um, there are fewer of those, but there's been a massive kind of reduction and loads of people who are saying that they are of no religion. Um, those people are asking questions about God. They might believe in a higher power, that there is something kind of, um, there is something more, but for some reason the church isn't the answer for them um, because they're probably seeing the church as irrelevant. Um, there's a kind of national narrative, I think in the media about the church being kind of old fashioned, anti-intellectual, um, backwards and prejudice. Um, and that's what a lot of people see, um, racist as well, um, uh, patriarchal, all the, all the things that young people just kind of complete turn off. Um, that's the situation that we're in. Um, but I think it's also, there's some things that are exciting about it. I love a challenge um, because people don't necessarily have the baggage that they did um, at my generation or my parents' generation who were kind of forced to go to church. They don't have necessarily the baggage. So they're, I think we're free to tell a different story, which is what we try to do at Theos. I think there's some really interesting stuff there that you're talking about and stuff that I can relate to in my own context, particularly what you just said there was, you know, we are seeing in our context, uh, new people coming to our church who just don't have the baggage, you know, they, you know, so if you said to them, what's your tradition that they would probably say, I've got absolutely no idea, you know, um, with that comes kind of an immaturity about a theology, but I think that's fine. I think um, I like to empower our congregation to kind of to be helped in working it out, but not being told how to work it out. I think that's a good a good starting point. I also would like to know what you think. You know whether whether you you think it's important to have a church to be a Christian. You know, I mean, um, you, you know, in recent times, you know, being on General Synod and listening to the debates. I constantly remind myself that that it's Jesus that I'm working for. It's Jesus that's important to me, um, and the institution is is um, is important, but it, it's not my driving force at the moment. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. This is such an interesting question that I've been thinking about this week in particular, because um, I spoke at a conference about our report, uh, Theos report on on the non-religious. And someone asked me, okay, but of the of the people who tick the Christian box, how many of those are actually going to church? Because clearly it's not all of them. Um, and I realized that my close, my closest friends who are Christians, like really, really Christian, mm. um, a lot of them don't go to church. Um, and why is that? It might be because they're they've been disillusioned or hurt in the past. Um it might be because it's really hard to find a church that is exactly what you want, where you want. Um, but they are the people that I would pray with or ask to pray with me. In some ways, I think, I mean, yes, it is Jesus that, that we're about and you don't have to be part of a church. I choose to be part of a church because I feel like I need an anchor. Um, doesn't mean the churches that I've been to and have been part of have been perfect, but I felt part of a community. I think there's something about the Christian faith um, about that is about being an embodied member of the community uh, and to go through all that life throws at us as individuals and as a community with other people. Um, uh, and I think that it's really hard to do that when you're kind of floating on the edges or just engaging on social media or 
WhatsApp, I think it's important that we kind of touch each other <laughs> um, and hug each other and um, and just walk through life um, in all its mess with each other. Yeah, um, I just, <clears throat> I, I, I kind of think, um, you know, some people, you know, when there's a bit of a disaster going on, whether, it, whether it's in the Holy Land, whether it's in Ukraine, whether it's in the Church of England, you know, people often say, you know, well, where's God in all this, you know, and um, you know, in the context of of church, I think um, I think I, I I take solace that the church is in control. Uh, sorry, that God is in control of the church, you know. And and if the church self can bust, then God will still be in that, and God will kind of rebuild it as something else. Um, you know, where where do you see the Church of England at this moment in time, Chinny? Um, I feel like it's at a crossroads. Now, a lot of people think I'm Anglican because I hang out with Anglicans a lot <laughs> and speak to Anglicans a lot. Actually, I'm not. Um, so as a kind of slightly outside perspective, looking at the Church of England, um, it, there is so much opportunity and so much good stuff going on. I think about the work on reparations and racial justice stuff, um, I think is a, a, is a really exciting time. The Church of England still has a lot of power um, to make change and to be prophetic um, into what's happening in society. And that's kind of the political stage as well as the societal. We still hold that, that place. Um, now, some people think that we shouldn't, but I think while well, we've, we've still got it, I think it's important that we use it in a way that presents challenge to the things that we think are not of God. Um, the the LLF stuff has been, you know, watching from the outside, it's absolutely it's really confusing. It looks like it's just uh, an internal squabble um, over lot with lots of different factions that believe different things who are fighting about something that the the world, the rest of the world, well, the rest of the UK has just kind of moved past and moved beyond. So it, what it, by constantly having these conversations, kind of reinforces the ideas that we are kind of of the past rather than of the future. Um, so, I mean, it's an interesting time um, and, you know, a, a dangerous time, I guess, for the Church of England in terms of its future um, and, and what comes next. But like you say, and part of me is just like, but does it matter? Like, you know, if, if yeah, no, I'm not going <laughs> to say that. God, God is still in, God is still the God of the church. Um, yeah. So whatever happens, happens. Okay. Well, we're talking about God. It would be remiss of me if we didn't mention your book. Um, that is, uh, which I must say, congratulations, Ginny, because it's been uh, shortlisted, hasn't it, for the Michael Ramsey Prize for theological writing that must be a real joy for you and, and uh, kind of um, something exciting to uh, participate in and go through um just tell people a bit about the book who, who haven't yet discovered it and and um and your thoughts behind writing it the book of course is uh, called called god is not a white man tell us a bit about it yeah so one of the things is the, the full title of the book is God is not a white man and other revelations. And basically the book starts with me having this revelation as a young black woman, you know, not that young actually, when I was in my twenties, the sudden realization 
that God is not white. Um, and that's despite me kind of every time I pray or imagine God or imagine Jesus, I would picture a white person because I've been I've grown up in this context in which every image that we see is of God being white. I think some people fall into the trap of thinking, well, you know, Chinese people see God as Chinese and black people see God as black. Um, yes, there's different depictions, but the predominant image of God is, is white. It's not just about images, though. Like, images aren't the, the point that I'm trying to um, make. The point is that those images are white because um, there is white supremacy in the church and in wider society. Uh, and there is patriarchy in the church and wider society. And it's those things that lead to those images um, rather than the images being the point themselves. So, so I move from that, that kind of revelation, exploring those um, images towards thinking about how that white supremacy and patriarchy show up in lots of different areas of society. So the church, yes, but also thinking about international developments or I write about my own um, marriage to a white man um, and kind of and, and what that says also education and, and all the kind of revelations I have about what it is to be black and a woman in a world that is made for whiteness and maleness I, I can see why it raises so many uh, uh, issues and, and questions you know I was talking to Luke Lana recently about, about you know about uh, class issues and I think this this buys into a similar kind of narrative. You know, what is God? I suppose. Um, do do you do you face the challenge if God is not a white man? Then what is God? What tell us how you explore that, Ginny, in the book? Well, um, it's it's amazing. Like a lot of the learning that I have had on this subject has come since the book came out in conversations with other people. Um, I think I get a lot of emails. Uh, uh, yeah, un unfriendly, unkind emails from people who make some assumptions from the title of my book that what I'm saying is God is God is a white woman, a, a black woman. Um, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that God isn't a, a white man. Um, I think that God is God, and yes, Jesus was a man who lived in first century Palestine. Was probably brown. Um, I don't think uh, Jesus was an Afro-Caribbean man. Um, but then, it, then, like you say, it's the question, what is God then? And I think what I found really helpful is thinking of God not as human at all. Um, so I spoke at a primary school a couple of years ago and I asked them, oh, what do you think God looks like? And I expected them to say Father Christmas, you know, or an old white man. And they said, things like I think God looks like a ball of energy I think God looks like a yin yang sign I think God looks like a ghost with glasses like that because they hadn't had the baggage of growing up in church they were able to conceive of God as something other than um a man and so I'm trying to think of God more like that like more like other things um more like the non-human or even the non-physical um and I think there's also something in, there is a beauty in people throughout the ages having represented Jesus as within the cultural context in which they're in, because I think that says something about the incarnation. The whole point of God becoming human was God becoming like us. So artistically, I think it's beautiful to, to represent God that way. But I don't think that God um, 
is Nigerian? <laughs> like me. Yeah, it's such a fascinating question. I've, I've been fortunate to uh, visit the Holy Land a couple of times, and there is there's times where you know you just look at things and you think, oh, this is God. This this is God's presence, and and you know to to actually define it as anything specific is 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 closing down the opportunity to experience what else it could be what else it might look like or whatever it might might feel like and and i really felt that very much going to the holy land it was transformative in that regard about my own thinking about what god is and what god might be um Tina, I've really enjoyed chatting to you. I've, I've still got some questions I want to ask because, uh, you know, I only, get, I only get to speak to my guests once, really. But you, you are also um, you, you're also involved with Greenbelt now. I, I'm very sorry, I've never been to Greenbelt. I, I do want to go, and I'm and I'm sorry that I haven't made it. But but that must be a, a real pleasure to be involved in Greenbelt. First of all, if you could just tell people a bit about Greenbelt and and then about your own engagement with it, please. Yeah, Greenbelt is a faith, arts and justice festival um, with a Christian ethos. Um, we just celebrated our 50th uh, festival this year, so it's been going for a long time. Um, and it's got all sorts there. So you can, um, if you think about, I don't know if you're familiar with Latitude Festival, but with a kind of Christian twist or a faith, arts and justice twist, um, it's got talks from really um, amazing people. So we had like Gordon Brown this year. We've had Pussy Riot in the past. We've had um, um, Kay Tempest performing. Um, but also there's kind of within that, there's also kind of goth Eucharist or there's um, uh, kind of out at Greenbelt. So kind of LGBTQ presence there as well. Um, I have been going for the past 12 years. I haven't missed one. And I, when we talked earlier about my kind of, I guess, my faith journey, I think Greenbelt has been a big part of my um, faith formation in the past decade or so, because I walked into Greenbelt for the first time, having not not heard of it before, I kind of got a press pass, I think, to go. I remember arriving and just thinking, oh, right, these are my people. <laughs> these are the people who um, love God want to make a difference in the world, but know that there aren't simplistic, easy answers, that there is a lot of gray. And it's kind of this open, inclusive space <clears throat> for us to question, for us to kind of feel the presence of God, but in a creative and artistic ways. I love it. Yeah. Um, well, you've, you've definitely sold it. I mean, it sounds fabulous. And, and so your your involvement with it now is what do, do you help uh, arrange guests and and just uh, events within the uh, within the the festival itself and also um, tell us about this next year it, it, you I guess you're working on that really hard already yeah so I'm I'm vice chair so I'm one of the trustees um, and the team um, are the people that do the real really hard work um, and an absolutely amazing excellent team uh, at Greenbelt. But yeah, I'm a trustee. So we kind of look at the strategy, um, get involved in different aspects of it. So um, thinking about the programming, but also the direction, um, the fundraising, looking at the accounts, the safeguarding, all of the, these really important things that lots of people, that, you know, it takes a huge amount um, of work. Um, but, but yeah, over the years, I've been involved in the talks streams. I've done a lot of kind of talks and hosting panels myself. Um, um, yeah, so kind of involved at the kind of strategic level now. 
Yeah, and, and and tickets are available, I guess already. Yes, tickets yeah. are available. Um, you, we started something interesting in terms of our ticketing this year, where you can recognizing there's a cost of living crisis, but also the cost of putting on a festival has gone up. Um, we've got kind of three tiers of um festival tickets, so you can have a supported ticket, which is a cheaper ticket if you can't necessarily afford the full amount, a normal ticket, but also a supporter ticket. So. Um, the really generous Greenbelt community who are able to afford more can pay more on the behalf of someone else, which That's has been fabulous. That's a great idea. Love yeah. that. Yeah. And and finally, you, you're a broadcaster. We see you on the radio. Sorry, we listen to you on the radio frequently. Is that is that an aspect of your your life and ministry that you enjoy very much? Yeah, doing thought for the day on Radio Four is one of my favourite things to do um, because. For me, my thing, my calling, I think, is to be at that intersection between uh, Christianity and the mainstream. So um, I love the fact that I get to speak on um, basically kind of new radio news program, today program, and interject this three minutes of reflection from my faith tradition on what's happening in the world. Now that also speaks into my kind of my my training as a journalist being able to um, communicate lots of information, uh, often complex theological ideas into three minutes. Um, and I get to read it, so I don't have to do it off the cuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but doing it live um, as well, you get to meet, meet some interesting people there. So yeah, I love I love radio. Um, I love, um, and I love uh, Thought for the Day. It's a real honor to do it. Yeah, I think it's a real, it's a real privilege. You know, uh, you, know even, you know, even through the Godcast, which doesn't get anywhere near the, uh, the listen, listener listenership that national radio does, but being able to connect with the the world beyond uh, your, the four walls of where you are is is a real privilege, and and I and I've recognised that through the Godcast that you know people uh, even if it's just one person who's not had a faith connection who gets in touch and said you know I watched this podcast or this Godcast with Chinny and and it's made me think it, it it's worth doing, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I think just to say not to butter you up, but. It's just amazing to see this, um, the range of guests that you've got on. It's not just Christians, it's interesting people that other people would want to uh, hear from. So just well done to you for for, for doing it. Um, Thanks, Jenny. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's been it's been a real pleasure. What's what's plans now? Have you done your Christmas shopping? Are you you all set? Or are you going to be one of those people running down the high street to hop us for on Christmas Eve? Well, I think I think both. So, um, I I've got a part uh, one side of my family who are very keen on kind of things being done early. So I actually given some Christmas presents over the weekend. Um, but for the things that can wait till last minute, they probably will. Um, but yeah, we all need a bit of joy. So I don't mind Christmas coming early this year. Fabulous. Well, thanks ever so much, Ginny. Uh, I really encourage people to go and check out uh, Ginny's book. And 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 as we've said, you'll you can find her on Radio Four and uh, check out her website. And she's on Twitter. And and uh, it's been great, Ginny. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.